Hello, my guest today played in with music written by the young Bristol composer David Richards is Jenna Brown. Jenna Brown is Radio Ombudsman's first North American guest and she is very welcome indeed. Jenna is Ombuds at the University of Denver, Colorado, which has more than 12,000 students and alumni in 145 countries. She's a founder member and member of the leadership team of the European Network of Ombudsmen in Higher Education. And I believe she attended the inaugural conference in Holland in 2003. She's also spoken at conferences of the very influential International Ombudsman Association. Now, many of you will know that Jenna writes passionately and influentially about Ombudsman practice and her work regularly appears in the American Journal of the Cal Caucus. Cal stands for California and in Enoe uh, publications too. I first met Jenna at an Enoe conference in London in 2008 and I was immediately struck by her ability to reach across borders to listen very carefully, uh, to question rigorously, and to generously share good practice. Much of this will be on display today, although on this occasion, hopefully, it's my job to do the questioning. So, Jenna, you're very welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, the tradition on this program is to begin by asking something about the guest, where they were born and brought up, and what values they imbibed from their early years. Mm. Can you help us on that? Well, I'll try. I uh, was born and grew up on uh, Long Island, east of New York City, in New York State, in the US. There's an interesting time to uh, start there, to come up there, because I was one of several families in a neighborhood of people from different countries. Mm -hmm. um, some of them had been had escaped dire situations in their home countries, and others were aspiring for better. So uh, different languages, um, an infusion of a wealth of experience and knowledge around me, uh, of which I took great access. So uh, I see myself shaped by both biology and biography. Biology being female, and also an inherited metabolic disorder, which meant that um, certain foods I could not eat. So mm -hmm. I could not assume, I was hardwired to question what's in this, what's this all about. The other thing by biography, I'm first generation. My father was an immigrant. I'm the firstborn of a large family and took on care of the family after my parents died. So the values that I have come directly from uh, transmitted through family, but also from experience. And the values are those of fairness, equality, equity, that education is important and experience is essential, mm -hmm. that people in elevated positions may be operating from assumptions, and that everyone has something to teach us. So it's a strong civic tradition that you come from. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, internationalism, mm. uh, strong belief in equity, mm -hmm. family values, mm -hmm. 
the American dream? I don't know. This was certainly my experience of America. Was it the American dream? I don't know. Mm -hmm. That was my America. But where did you go to school? I went to school, um, primary and secondary school, at the public education, mm -hmm. walking to school every day because it was, uh, at least for primary school, you could walk to school, which was unusual for that place. Um, secondary school took a, a bus and um, a consolidated district, so where I had a small school in for, for primary school, secondary school were 320 students from from a 25-square-mile area, a regional area. So what, what do you mean by consolidated? School districts in that part of the, the uh, country are really quite important. Yeah. Different than municipal government. There are villages and towns and counties. But the school district draws people from a geographic area. And this school district covered a, a geographic area of 25 square miles. Right. And people otherwise in isolation in their villages or hamlets or towns were drawn together by this strong influence. I, in hindsight, I recognize this as a strong influence. Um, so we had exposure to one another that we might not have had. Um, and that's why school districts, at least in that part of the country, are hugely important. So you, did you go to university? I did. And what did you study at university? Well, what I studied and what I learned. So <laughs> I, I went to a, a public university, the State University College, then called the State University College of New York at Oswego, upstate New York. And it included a third year, my, in my third year, study abroad in France. Yeah. So it was an exposure to American culture at university and then also to an international environment in France for the year. And I think my, my academic record demonstrates that I thrive in the experiential environment and less so in the academic. Um, but I did learn something interesting in the academic environment. I remember one particular uh, experience where I was struggling with a, a course, an introduction to philosophy course. Mm -hmm. I was really struggling to understand what the instructor was trying to convey. And I was walking through the corridors of an old building on this campus, which had many modern camp modern buildings, but this happened to be the old one. And I walked by, and I must have had some, I'm lost, where am I going, look on my face. Because some, uh, turns out an academic, an important academic, called me in, may I help you, where are you going? I said, well, I'm, I'm lost, but I don't quite know how to find my way. And we wound up having a conversation about philosophy in which he reviewed all of these principles that we had been discussing. He said, you absolutely understand what's going on here. And it was the most, um, do I remember the specifics of the conversation? No. Mm. Am I reassured that in conversation with somebody who knew the information that I could absorb or learn and understand? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's when I began to really appreciate explicitly the value of the formal but also the informal and these opportunities for engagement. I mean, One of the distinctive features of your practice is to deploy conversation mm -hmm. and exchange in helping to resolve issues. Mm -hmm. So that that's not a surprise to hear. Mm -hmm. So what did you do before you became an ombuds? No surprise to you, a variety of things. I started out teaching in uh, secondary school 
and then um, in adult education, and then uh, post-secondary school with underprepared college students. What I like to say is I graduated my way out, worked my way through, and found during these experiences I was invited to moderate different meetings that were coming up. Mm-hmm. So I moved from the East Coast, from New York to Colorado, different story, but I landed in a place where um, I was able to do those things that I had been teaching others to do. But I also wound up working with a community dispute resolution center that was involved in teaching and doing mediation. And so uh, that began what became the, the second wave, the second career in dispute resolution. So in that uh, transition, I mediated disputes, domestic disputes, divorce, child custody, visitation, uh, independently or through the courts, uh, gangs, pre-gun, those were the knife days, mm. uh, neighbor-neighbor disputes, um, also uh, assisted at different training courses that were going on, teaching people how to mediate, mm-hmm. and then uh, supervised mediators in uh, different arenas, different venues, um, helping them develop their professional expertise as mediators. I want to come back to the role of mediation in the course of our discussion, but when did you actually become the ombuds at uh, the University of Denver? May 99. May 99, okay. Yeah. And in the United States and Canada, there's a different understanding uh, about the role of an ombuds or ombudsman compared to the UK, mm. uh, what ombudsmen do and don't do. So what is your role as ombuds at uh, the university? I'll start with what I call geek speak and then move to plain speak. Geek speak, I provide confidential and informal assistance to anyone having problems with or within the university. Plain speak, I help people make sense of their situations understand the options and strategies to address and resolve those, provide assistance as appropriate, connect them with the resources available to them within the university and elsewhere, and then see how those resources are working. Okay, so just to be clear then, you're instrumental in what you do. You encourage people to resolve issues themselves by giving them support and advice, whereas in the traditional approach in this country, we would be quicker to intervene by adjudicating. Is that fair? I think that's quite accurate, yeah. Okay. What is the advantage of doing it that way in the United States? I think that's interesting, the advantage. I think there's differences. I don't know about the advantage, because there has been discussion about that. Yeah. And there's certainly variation in practice across the U.S., some that lean towards the adjudication and others that shy away from it immensely. I think what it does, at least within the university, is encourage the university, involve the university in addressing and resolving its disputes, also in prevention. So this approach really does help the university be engaged with its population, help prepare its population, help prepare itself, and make changes as it needs to. 
If I understand it properly, in America there's a predominance of what they call the organizational ombuds tradition, where the jurisdiction is within institutions rather than across mm. them in general. Mm. So there would be thousands of people like you mm. at universities and public institutions mm. across the country doing a broadly similar thing. The numbers aren't nearly as high as that. In the US, what we say is there's four kinds of ombudsmen. Mm -hmm. And there are some that are very much in your tradition and they're in different um, uh, state governments or municipalities notably um, state of Hawaii, state of Alaska, a county within a state in the Pacific Northwest. There's something akin to uh, the citizen's advocate in New York City, for example. Yeah. The distinction between organizational and classical is, to my mind, somewhat confusing. And there has been a move to consider um, inward-facing and outward-facing ombudsmen and how they function. So it's rather an elegant mess. And what does seem to be true or current right now is the numbers are increasing, yeah. um, certainly in higher education and across the country. Do you think you can be properly independent from within an institution rather than being appointed to scrutinize it from the outside? I think we are obligated to question, to look at our independence real and perceived. Yeah. Uh, the truth of it is we do get paid to do this job within an institution and we have to ask ourselves and be aware of that question regardless of where we are within an institution or elsewhere. Who pays you? Are you beholden to them and if so how? Then there's structural independence. There's relational independence. Um, I think independence is something that we have to be aware of and struggle with every day. So we know that in American universities, Canadian universities, all over the world, they appoint people in different ways. So they have different degrees of mm. independence according to factors which you've, you've just talked about. What do you think British ombuds people can learn from American practice? To see, that the, um, to see this practice as an evolving tradition, not a fixed but, uh, tradition, and that we, regardless of where we are, um, need to consider how to apply the ombuds principles in our particular environment. Yeah. And by principles, and there is some discussion about what those pr principles are, independence, informality or relative formality, whatever that might be, impartiality um, and confidentiality which we've spoken about and, and fairness also appears yeah. in, in, among the list of the principles. What I suggest we all consider is the expectations of the organization within which we work, mm -hmm. the expectations or needs of the visitors that we work with, I say mm -hmm. visitors, clients, complainants, and also what we bring to the table and to recognize that these three are in relationship and that to be relevant we need to embrace both the the principles of the practice and also the three factors of the organization the visitor and ourselves i mean i don't want this to be a cozy conversation but i mm. actually agree with you on that and one of my ambitions 
is to draw on some of the good practices mm -hmm. that one learns about internationally and deploy them alongside the adjudication techniques which are excellent in this country but can be supplemented with different approaches and I think that's true for everybody it's not just a British weakness mm -hmm. it's it's true of everybody that they can learn about what works and of course it has to work in the local situation yeah. I accept that so while we're about it do you think that the term ombudsman is a gender biased term so no surprise to you, I'm going to dance away from that one, back away from it. I'm agnostic to use a term I've heard here. In the U.S., we see ombud, ombuds, ombudswoman, ombudsperson, ombudsman. So while I recognize those are all out there, I do see an evolution where there's a movement to move towards ombudsman and ombuds or ombud. But I um, I really do not like the term ombuds officer. I have seen that also appear in the U.S. <coughs> Excuse me. So you wouldn't have a problem if I referred to you as an ombudsman, which is etymologically probably the correct term. Well, what I do love is to go to go to Norway and Sweden and ask them, and they just they've moved on. So that may be a, a term fixed in time and now fixed in our countries, but. The term, what I'll say is I recognize that you use the term ombudsman, and I also know that it means something to you in this context, and that the office that I work, the title that I have is ombuds, and it means something in that context. Oh, you're, you're very discreet and honorable. I mean, all I would say is that uh, I asked the, my Swedish counterpart about yeah. this, and they were set up in 1809. Yeah. And I said to her, do you think it's a gender biased term, ombudsman? And she said, well, it's really too early to, uh, to make the decision. We've only been operating for 200 years. So <laughs> perhaps we need to go on a bit longer. But I, I do want to stop you there, though, because coming into the border, it's been interesting now several times. When on the, the um, passport control card, you have to identify your profession. Yeah. And I put ombudsman down, not ombuds, but ombudsman. Yeah. And one time coming through, the passport control officer said, oh, ombudsman, oh, and I, I of course, I, I, oh, what does that mean to you? She, oh, you protect us. I thought that was fascinating. And then most recently coming in, ombudsman, yeah, um, where, where do you do that? I said, well, in a higher education context. He was really quite interested in the notion of ombudsman. Mm -hmm. And my exposure at the border is uh, the term is recognized. It has some value. It's also seen as perhaps more elevated than I see my own role within the university. It, the term ombudsman means something here. Yes. It's what they call the brand, which is mm. one of the reasons why some people are reluctant to, to change the term. Mm. But c can we mm. just move on to the issue of whether or not uh, the ombudsman is an embryonic profession. That's, that's what I think it is, and I think we have much to do to professionalize uh, our uh, competency frameworks, our induction, our training, our career development. Do you I, share that view? I do, very much so. To your point, when I first started this job, now, almost 20 years ago, I thought it was much more developed than it was then. And that was 20 years ago. Yeah. 
And I was given, with great um, confidence, contradictory information about how to do my work. And finally somebody came over to me and said, Jenna, the dirty little secret, we don't all practice the same way. Now that, um, that was 20 years ago. That's still true. Mm. I think it's evolving. My concern is, if I felt that way 20 years ago, my concern is, as these different structures appear, that there's an illusion that the field, the profession, if you will, is more clear than it was then, and it's not. No. Yeah. And I, my sense is that there are lots of professions like lawyers, for example, mm. who are so proud of being a profession, and that really marks them out, whereas we seem to be reluctant to, to take the step. And some of our colleagues in higher education would say that their professionalism comes from their academic expertise, which no doubt it does, but I don't think that's the point. And I think that does vary from country to country. Yeah. In the U.S., there has long been a push for professionalization. Yeah. My uh, exposure to some other countries has made me appreciate how different that is. But they have different circumstances as well. I think of one country in particular where they say, and they are, they're, they're the ombudsman is enshrined in law. Yeah. Why do we need a profession if the law says we exist? So I appreciate the difference. I'm not sure a judge could use that defense, but anyway, yeah. that, that's fair enough. So uh, because of the importance of professionalizing, that's why INOE, the European network, and other similar networks of ombudsmen is so important, really. Because if we don't find ways of talking to each other through uh, bodies like the International Ombudsman Institute and the IOA and so on, then we're going to be impoverished because we don't share things. But Inoue is interesting, isn't it? Because, first of all, people will ask me, well, what, what is Jenna doing in Inoue? She is a New York American, and here she is giving encouragement and support and advice to colleagues in Europe. What, what's the value, what uh, intrigues you about Inoue? I find it an essential forum to listen and learn from one another. I learn from contrast and so the exposure to those differences helps me clarify what my own work is so I become more clear, learn new, new things, new ideas and in, engage with colleagues from different perspectives in different countries, not just within the Inoue conference, but through that network. Yeah. And it has been incredibly important um, and essential to my work. And essential to the people who listen to your teaching as well. So um, take a deep breath and tell us how you see the role of the Ombuds in 50 years' time. Still here? Actually, I, I jotted down something because I was did think about that. And I think still here, still, maybe it's wishful thinking, but relevant, uh, appreciated, enduring because of both it's the fields upholding certain those principles and also being relevant to the population and the needs. So both enduring and adapting. Um, so still here? I think so. If um, what's, what's the biggest risk? There's a danger that we become isolated from the communities we serve. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I, that is my concern always, is that insularity 
will um, not only make us more ineffective, but also could inflict harm. Mm. And so that is the one thing I, I absolutely uh, rail against, is the insularity. Okay, last question. Yeah. We always end like this. Uh, what advice would you give to young graduates like many of my colleagues here in Manchester, just taking their first jobs as ombudspeople? Um, what would you say to them? Um, don't assume. Ask. Listen and learn. Um, what, when, what you're saying here is that the, these people have already gotten the job. I, I meet a number of people who aspire to this, job, this work. So I would, I guess it goes back to my own roots, doesn't it, with education and experience. Yeah. And to value both and, and to, uh, to engage. Okay, Jenna Brown, it's been a delight. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, my privilege. Thank you for listening to Radio Ombudsman. We would love to know what you think, so please leave a review or comment. If you like what you hear, please share and subscribe to future episodes.